We began a new series last week, and if you were here, you'll recollect that it's called Family Matters. There certainly are lots of family matters that you deal with. Some of you dealt with some family matters on the way here. Not that we're going to talk about those because we'll just smile and pretend they didn't happen. But you dealt with some things on the way here. Some of you will deal with family matters later at lunch over where to eat. And uh, you'll certainly deal with family matters all week long. But we also know that family does matter. And it has a tremendous impact on all of us. Whether the family you've come from is outstanding and you thank God for it, or you are the person you are in spite of the family that you've come from, or you look at your own life and you say, man, I wish I hadn't grown up in that family. I am really messed up because of that. Certainly nobody here, but maybe, you know, your brothers and sisters and cousins, you know, are messed up because of your family. We began last week with, with a few weeks on men. And, and that's on purpose, not because we don't like ladies. We certainly do, and we will address the, the issues the Bible has to talk about with womanhood uh, very soon. But I wanted to start with men because I really believe that, that when you can address the men, when men change, everything else changes. I really believe that. That doesn't mean that men are more important. That simply means that in the role that God has given us as men, that when we change... When we submit to Jesus Christ, there's lots of stuff that changes. And you know that as well as I do. You have seen families whose whose dad, whose husband is a tremendous man of God, and you see how the family goes as a result of that. You see other families where maybe the man sort of wavers on his commitment to the Lord, and so by default everybody else sort of is casual in their Christianity. And certainly you've seen families where the men are either absent or or disengaged, and you see the disastrous results of that. The goal for the next couple of weeks, building off of last week, is to change the scoreboard for men. The scoreboard in our society for men points to the fact that in order to be successful, in order to be a great man, you've got to make a certain amount of money. You've got to look a certain way. You've got to be in certain shape. You have to have a certain level of education, own certain things, whatever that may be. And you know as well as I do that that's the scoreboard. You see the commercials, you understand the flow of society. And deep down, though, what we talked about last week is that we know something's wrong with that. We realize that none of us will ever measure up to that. You'll never have enough money. You'll never be attractive enough. You'll never be in good enough shape. You'll never own enough stuff to feel as if now you're validated as a man. You just can't do it. I also told you last week that... That more bad news, as if that's not enough, that you'll never measure up to the world's standard. More bad news is God has a standard, and you'll never measure up to that either. Now, some of you, that's the first time you've ever heard that. You've been trying your whole life to just measure up to God's standard. If I could just be good enough, then God will like me. I realize God doesn't like me when I do this bad stuff, so I'm going to do some good stuff, and now God will like me and everything will be okay. You realize that you can never do enough good stuff for God to actually like you more than He already does. God demonstrated, the Bible says, His own love toward us in that we were still sinners, dead in our sin. Christ died for us. That's how much God loves you. You cannot sin less and God loves you more. You can't sin more and God loves you less. You you can't measure up to His standards, so Jesus did it for you. He went to the cross and He died for your sins. And so the good news in all of that is there's a brand new scoreboard for men. The scoreboard is Jesus Christ dying on the cross, absolute perfection for you, and then as a result of that, as a result of your faith in Jesus for salvation, 
The scoreboard has changed. So we're talking about a new scoreboard. Last week, we described the fact that this new scoreboard includes that great men are faithful men. And if you missed that particular sermon, we'll have those on the website. We've got that podcast and all that stuff. And you can look at that and, and listen to it, and, and maybe you'll learn a little bit about what God says the new scoreboard is. This week, I want to add a little bit to your new scoreboard. So, fellas, if you're following along, at least make your wife or your daughter or whomever think that you're following along. You can look at the back of your bulletin. And you can follow along there, uh, along with your Bible, or you can scan that code at the bottom, and it will take you to a link that will have all of the notes there for you. And we promise not to assume that you're texting. We promise to assume that you are using your phone or your tablet this morning for absolutely holy purposes. And that is to follow along with God's Word. So the new scoreboard, I want to add to it this morning. Very simply, here's kind of the theme for today, that great men are courageous men. Great men are courageous men. Last week, great men are faithful men. This week, great men are courageous men. And I'll just give you a heads up. Next week, it's going to be great men are repentant men. Just telling you that. You you may think, I don't have to come now, but, but I hope you will show up next week. Just give you a little preview. All of us can be faithful. All of us can be courageous. All of us can be repentant. And I'm thankful that the Bible's scoreboard includes those things for men. Great men are courageous men. I have, I have on my shelf in my office a gift from my sister and her husband when they went to visit Europe last fall. Back in October, they took a trip, and they, they like to travel, and they do some really fun things. And, and they went to, to Europe, and, and on their trip, they stopped in Normandy, France. Now, some of you, immediately, you think D-Day with Normandy, and you, and you should. Uh, The day, June 6, 1944, when the Allied troops stormed the beaches of France to begin to dismantle the German stronghold on Europe. And certainly that was the beginning of the end for Adolf Hitler and his reign in Europe. And on that day, maybe you've seen enough movies to know, and you've seen Saving Private Ryan, and and you see those, those little Higgins boats, is what they were called, named after the guy that designed them, produced actually in New Orleans, believe it or not, where the World War II Museum is. Just a little trivia for you, nothing to do with the sermon, but... Those of you that like history, maybe you like that. So they ride up on these Higgins boats, and you've seen them. They crank down the door, and it goes down, and they are several hundred yards from the shoreline, let off into the fire of German machine guns from their pillboxes on a fortified hill above the beach. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you've seen those movies, and you have seen those guys literally getting sick before they go. Not necessarily because they're seasick, because they know what they're about to face. It's a battle that they have never maybe encountered. And you realize those guys are ordinary people. In fact, Stephen Ambrose, a World War II historian, the late Stephen Ambrose, wrote a book called D-Day and then also wrote a book called Citizen Soldiers and described the fact that the people who fought in World War II, you all know this, you know people who did, maybe family members, they were just ordinary folks who demonstrated extraordinary courage as the gate comes down on that boat and they rush out, seeing their, their friends, their other guys, fall all around them, seeing the bodies in the water, seeing the bodies thrown across the beach, and yet they run forward. I, I wonder, I wonder what kind of courage we have to face the battles that we encounter. That was a very physical battle. On my shelf in my office from my sister, I have a little bottle of sand from Normandy, and a shotgun shell, a rifle shell that was used that day, reminding me of the courage that those guys had 
ordinary men with extraordinary courage. Guys, you may be ordinary today. All of us are. None of us are really that special. We know that. None of us are really that outstanding. We're all honest with ourselves. But let me tell you this. God has called you today to extraordinary courage and can enable you and give you what you need to demonstrate extraordinary courage even in the face of what feels like machine gun fire. Even in the face of everybody around you falling and failing, God can give you extraordinary courage. Now, I will tell you this message is designed specifically to speak to men, but ladies, I want you and, and, and really beg of you to reinforce what we're talking about with the men in your lives. Some of you have sons or grandsons or a husband or, or, or you're dating someone. Or maybe, maybe you, you say, you know what, one day I'd like to be married. This is the kind of man we're describing that you want to set your sights on and reinforce and help build up God's kind of man. All of us, if we think about the Battle of Normandy, men, all of us would say, I want to storm that beach. I want to be the guy who's the hero. When I peel back and open my life, I want to see courage. But if we're honest, today, many of us, we peel back the layers of who we are, hoping to find courage and a willingness to do what we know is right, a willingness to do what God has told us to do no matter what. And instead, we often find anger and hurt and resentment and reluctance to get involved and fear of what might happen and fear of failure. We often don't find the courage that we'd like. And so today, my goal simply is this, that I want to begin to change that. I don't expect today that you'll leave here and football season's around the corner and you will have gotten a good pep talk from the coach today. That's not what I'm going for. I simply want our guys today to begin, to begin by submitting ourselves to Jesus Christ, to learning from the courage that we'll see in the Scripture today, and simply to determine to take some steps this week to display that kind of courage in one or more of the roles that you play. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Same scripture we were in last week. I left you hanging, not telling you the end of the story with David and Goliath. Some of you have wondered all week long, what happens? That guy's big. David's not. It's a cliffhanger story. I know you've been holding your breath all week. I'll give you the end of the story today. I promise. David wins. It's a great story. David here, of course, is fighting Goliath. You already know the end of the story. That, that goes without saying. But I hope that we can look and we talk about faithfulness and we talk about today courage. We can see some of that displayed in David's life. There are several things when, when David runs out to meet Goliath, there are several things I really believe that, that he's got on the line for him. Look, look first at a scripture we saw last week, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Look in verse 25 real quick. Previously, here's David. He shows up. All right, He shows up to the battle line. He sees Goliath. Goliath is taunting everybody. And, and here's what the Scripture tells us. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, Do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. Now, here's, here's what, what uh, the reward is. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the household of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David has here, if, if, you'll, if you'll see this, 
He has here several things on the line. Why does David come ready to fight? Why is he rushing to the battle line? There's several things here to me that he's got on the line. He he looks at what's been said about the man who kills him. First of all, he's going to see that he's fighting for the reward of the king. That's going to be part of it. Look at verse 25. The king will make him who kills him very rich. And then he's also fighting for the hand of the princess and will give him his daughter. There's a lot on the line here. David has, has got some stuff that he's willing to fight for. He's also fighting for the benefit of his family. The king will also make the household of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. There's a benefit for his family. David also fighting for the rescue of his people. Look at him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? The rescue of his people and also for the honor of his God. Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine, this, this man who's not a, a person of God, that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, I want to put before you this morning something that's not on the back of your bulletin, but I hope you'll take the opportunity as I talk about it to write it down. I really believe that what David was fighting for, guys, we're fighting for the same things. I want to have Austin pull this up. I, I, I want you to, to get your mind around this. Again, not on the back of your bulletin, but guys, let this stuff sink in for just a second. What you're fighting for, I really believe, is the same thing that motivated David that day, and I hope will motivate you as you leave here this morning to have courage and to engage and to fight for these things. I really believe that each of us, we're fighting for the reward of our King, the pleasure of the Lord to live in His favor and to experience His blessing. And I'll be honest with you, that's not necessarily found outside of you. Sometimes you can experience God's blessing from the outside, but many times it's just found in in living out who you really are, in coming alive in the things that God has given you to do, in enjoying God for once, letting Him love you and restore you. I believe today maybe it's time for us to begin to fight for the reward of our king. Guys, you're also fighting for the hand of your princess. Now, this sounds a little bit sappy, and it sounds almost like a Disney movie, and I I get that. But David was promised the hand of the princess. And guys, let me tell you, you must, need to, have to, Ought to, whatever you want to call it. Now, you may think I'm heaping law on you. Those who are just grace-oriented, heaping law on you. Listen, the Bible is clear that the man must fight and must win the hand of the princess. You have in your life, if you're married, a princess from God Himself. And you and you alone must fight for the hand and the heart of that princess You may not be married, but one day God may bring a woman into your life. Will you be ready to fight for the hand of that princess? And I'm not talking about beating some other guy up so that you can claim that now she's mine and you drag her off to the cave. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that you're willing to do what God has called you to do in that relationship. You have to fight for the hand and the heart of your princess. And I'll tell you this, also for the hearts of those princesses living in your home. Those little princesses that desperately need their daddies, that desperately depend on their daddies for love and for support and to see what it looks like to be a real man. You're also fighting for the benefit of your family. I believe as dad goes, so goes the family. If you're a man here today and you have a family, you have children, you have grandchildren, I believe that as dad goes, as granddad goes, so goes the family. Your family needs you to take initiative. They need you to do that. They don't need you to come home. And listen, guys, we're all susceptible to this. 
come home, simply turn on the television and let mama handle everything. They don't need you to do that. Boy, how tempting is that? They need you to take initiative. Your sons need to be taught what it looks like to be a godly man. What it looks like to be a man of the Word. Your family always, always, always benefits when you battle for it. When you fight to keep it together. And certainly there is a battle every day for that, isn't there? You're also fighting for the rescue of your people. There are people that God has called you right now. That you're around, and God will bring them to mind here in the next couple of minutes. I talk about it. There are people God has put around you that He's called you to lead and called you to influence. You say, I don't have a position for that. I don't have any education for that. That's not what I'm talking about. God has put you around people that need to be rescued from their enemies, the things that assail them on a daily basis, and God has you right there. So maybe for you, it's not just drawing a paycheck at work anymore, or just attending a few meetings, or showing up to church going through the motions of your daily and weekly life. Maybe you'd say, you know what, I'm here to help these folks be rescued from the enemies they face. I will be an encourager. I will be enthusiastic. I will help them. I will speak the Word of God into their lives. I think you're also fighting for the honor of your God. Now let me tell you this, God always wins. Always. He doesn't need any of us. The first time we start thinking God really needs us, is when we set ourselves up to fall flat on our faces and have God prove once again, I love you, but I don't need you. You're not God, and I'm not God, and there's only one God. He doesn't need any of us. But out of His grace, He chooses to use us to accomplish His work. We are tools in the hands of God, and so we must, as men, we must engage in the battle to display and to put out truth and faithfulness and display the greatness of God. Those are the things that you're fighting for. So as we move through this morning, the Scripture, we look at David engaging against Goliath. I'll just tell you up front, those will be the points of application. So every time I'm going to come back to, these are the things that you focus on. This week, as you move forward, reward of your king, the hand of your princess, the benefit of your family, the rescue of your people, and the honor of your God. Those are the things. So let's look at this. The battles that you face every day and every role. Let me give you some truth about these battles. First of all, you are the best man for the job. You are the best man for the job. In every battle that you face, every day, in every role that you play, you are the best man for the job. Look at David's story in verse 31. What David said was overheard. Now, he, he has said, what's going on about this? Who, who gets what? And what if I take this guy out? What's going to be the benefit? And so on. What David said was overheard and was reported to Saul. Of course, Saul is a king. So he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, I love this. Don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Now, they've been for 40 days, they've just been beat down. Goliath comes out, he yells at them, he flexes at them, he growls at them. He's really big, they're all scared, they're running their tents and hide. Don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Okay. Your servant, talking about himself, we'll go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, I I would just wonder what the look on Saul's face was at this point. Here's little David, young guy. He looks across the field. There's Goliath, nine feet, nine inches tall, carrying 125 pounds of armor. His armor probably weighs more than David does soaking wet. Here's this young guy who shows up. Look, I got this. Don't worry about it. Don't anybody be discouraged. I promise. I'm going to take him on. You can't, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. I mean, you're a little guy. Look, have you looked in the mirror? I'll shine up my shield here. You look there and then look across the field. And he's been a warrior since he was young. David answered Saul, 
Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Oh, good. Good job. Isn't that wonderful? You're a shepherd. It just gets better, doesn't it? Whenever a lion or bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I screamed and yelled for my other seven brothers, and they came and helped me out. I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. You ever done that? Yeah, you know, three times this week. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Now, you guys that are hunters, I love you, but that ain't ever happening to you. Yeah, you get all dressed up, you got your camo and your deer stuff smelled all over you, and you climb up there in a tree, and you're sitting there, and you, you know, here you are, you gotta, you gotta be quiet, you know. That deer comes along, just chomping on some clover, and you, you take the thing out, you know. I mean, David, look at what David does. I mean, you think that's impressive. David has a bear and a lion come up, try to steal his sheep. He chases the thing down, grabs it, chokes it to the ground, breaks its neck, rips off his head, I guess, and then stands over it and just grunts. I mean, I've never done anything like that. It's just amazing. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Okay. Convinced me. That's uh, more than I've done this week. Go and may the Lord be with you. I mean, David steps up. He says, Look... I'm not a fighting man for my youth like Goliath. But let me tell you what God has prepared me for. Let me tell you about the experiences. Let me tell you this. I'm the best man for the job. King, don't worry. I got this. God has been training me. And I'm ready. Saul eventually says, you know what? You're right. Go on. There's so much to learn from David in these verses. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing when you stop to think about it. Guys, today, for the roles and the battles that you're in, your heart may be gone. I mean, you may have given up. You, you may have said, it's just, it's not worth it. I mean, you, you may feel like nothing matters, like you've got nothing to live for, like you're just defeated at every turn. But your heart, I'll tell you this. The very core of who you are, if it's surrendered to Jesus Christ, your heart is still there and it's beating and it's waiting to be released. It's there. It's beating. It's waiting to be released. I mean, you may feel as if the world is asking more of you than you have to give in every role and every battle that you face. But it's time to realize this morning that you are the best man for the job. In every battle, in every role, it's time for you to be the hero of your story. Because if you leave your place, if you abandon your post, it will remain empty. And make no mistake about it. All of us, just like David that day, face battles in life that demand tremendous courage that we don't necessarily think that we have. You may or may not have signed up for or asked for or expected the battles that you're in right now and you say, this is unfair. I didn't want this. But you are the best man for the job. And so it's time for courage. It's time to fight for the reward of the king. Pleasing your heavenly Father, experiencing His blessing requires that you be fully who God has created you to be. And no one else can be you but you. If you disengage and you turn off, no one else can do it for you. It's impossible. So 
So it's time to take responsibility, to thank God for the opportunities and the roles that He's given you, and to be who He wants you to be, beginning now. Not beginning next week when you get your act together. Beginning now by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has you wherever you are on purpose, and you are the best man for the job. Hear it from the Word of God this morning. David says, I'm your guy. (laughs) I'm the only one who can do this. It's also time for courage, time to fight for the hand of the princess. Guys, let me tell you this. You're the only man who must pursue your wife and your daughters. The only one who can truly let them know that they're lovely and they're wonderful. And if you don't fight for your marriage, nobody else will. Nobody else will. You will leave an empty, empty void that no one else has the right or the responsibility to fill. So don't disengage. It's sure easy to do that. Marriage can be hard. Sometimes you don't feel like working at it. Sometimes you say it's too far gone anyway. Who cares? But guys, today, I don't know what step it is you need to take, but you are the best man for the job to rescue and to revive your own marriage. And I'll tell you this, if you don't step up as the father of daughters, somebody else will. Somebody else will. And you won't like it. Some other guy will fill that role for the, for the life of your daughter. <laughs> and you won't like it. It's time to fight for the benefit of your family. You are the best man to lead your family, to fight to keep it together, to provide for it, to protect it, to spend time with it, to make your home a place of grace and safety, to raise disciples in your home. You are the best man for the job, the only man. You are irreplaceable there. Also fight for the rescue of your people. You may hate your job. You may not like the people that you work around. You may say the people in line at Walmart just annoy me to death, but that seems to be where God has me quite often. Standing in line there, working that job, whatever it may be. Let me tell you this, the people that you're around need you. This church needs you. This community needs you. And you are the best man for the job. It's not going to be easy, not going to be quick, but it's time to step up. It's time to engage. I wonder if you answered this question, how could the people around you be rescued, be blessed from their enemies, rescued from their enemies, blessed by God, by your choice to engage in their lives. David knew that day no one else had the courage to do what was right. Nobody else had the courage to stand up and to say, I'm going to do something positive here. I'm not going to be part of the problem, part of the solution. And maybe also you'd fight for the honor of your God. You know, God doesn't need us to defend Him. His reputation is pretty solid. But He's chosen to use us in His work. You may feel, say, I don't know about serving God and helping out maybe at church or in the community and serving. I just kind of feel inadequate, kind of feel stupid. I, I, I don't really know as much as anybody else. But I'll tell you this, God has put something in front of you or maybe burned something into your heart that nobody else can do. And maybe it's time to recognize that you are the best man for the job. Secondly, you have all you need. You're the best man for the job and you have all you need. You can have courage because of that. Look at verse 38. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on his armor. David strapped his sword over the military clothes and and tried to walk. This is great. But he was not used to them. Saul obviously was a bigger guy. You realize that the Bible tells us that Saul stood a, a full head and shoulders above everybody else. I mean, he's a, he's a big guy too. David was a handsome young man, strong obviously, but not nearly as big as Saul. 
I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. He puts them on. I mean, you just imagine, imagine a, a kid trying to put on something that's made for an adult. And they just, here they are, they kind of, you know, walk around. And there's one little guy on our baseball team, and he's a catcher. And he's about this tall. I mean, he's just little. He's about Hank's size. And he tries to wear these huge shin guards that are built for somebody about five years older than him. And he, he just wants to feel big, you know. But he comes to the plate and he just has to walk with straight legs because he can't. That's the way David is. It doesn't fit him. And he says, this isn't going to work. And he looked around and he realized, you know, I don't need all that stuff anyway. I've already got all that I need. He took the staff. Look at it. Verse 40. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi, the river, and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in hand, he approached the Philistine. Now, this is almost laughable. I mean, it's beyond. If you're just standing there and you think, David said he's going to take this guy out, and he's got a slingshot. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to this. And if, we, if he loses, then everybody, we have to go be the slaves of the Philistines. All right, Dave, yeah, you got some rocks and a slingshot. That guy's nine feet, nine inches tall and wearing full body armor. Good luck. But David recognized he wasn't an ordinary soldier. He couldn't even wear a real suit of armor. Maybe it appeared that David wasn't much of a man. Maybe you feel that way. You can't do the other things that guys can do. I, I don't work on cars. I sort of talk like I, you know, yeah, okay, you know, I'm all right. I was wondering if it was that. Seemed like that was probably the issue to me, you know. I just didn't put any gas in it, you know. That, I mean, I, that's what I know. I don't know anything, you know. I mean, it's easy if you, if you look around and you see all the stuff that other guys can do and they know and all that. David here looks around and he says, these guys are all soldiers. I can't, I can't do that. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you walk around and your deepest fear is being exposed as an imposter, not really a man. Maybe you carry hurt and confusion because of what your dad did or didn't do. Whether he was there or whether he wasn't there. What he said or what he didn't say. And you carry around that hurt. Or maybe you're just faking it through life. And you pick little battles that you know you can be successful at, but you're not really doing anything in life. Maybe you're searching for validation. Somebody to put their stamp of approval and give you what you need, really, to be a man. And that validation, I'll tell you this, though, won't come through some macho man image or toughness or achievements or fitness or through women or money or anything else this world has to offer. That validation, feeling as if you have what it takes, only comes through letting yourself be loved by Jesus Christ. Through submitting to Him and receiving His forgiveness and His cleansing for your sin, and then asking Him to fill you each and every day with His Holy Spirit and to live through you. That's where your validation comes from. That's why David had all that he needed. But he didn't search for it from the outside. And when you do that, submitting to Jesus Christ, you will realize, I've got all I need for the battles that I face. I may not know everything, I may not be good at everything, but I have all I need. He's given you the weapons, He's given you the defense to fight the battles that you have to fight. And so then when you begin to fight for the reward of your king, you realize, I don't do this to earn God's favor because my sin is already dealt with. It's gone. And so my reward as a believer in Jesus is eternal life and daily empowerment and victory. And you realize that you have all you need to fight for the hand of your princess. Guys, let me tell you this. You already know what it's going to take to win the heart of the woman in your life. 
or to win the heart of those little women in your life, those little girls that live in your home. You know your words, your time, your knowledge of what to do, the choices you make. You have all you need already. You say, it's too far gone. I don't even know what to do. Begin to give all that you can and all that you have, whatever it is, to the princess or princesses in your life. And then trust God that that will be enough. And then do it again the next day and the next day and the next day. You have all you need to to fight for the benefit of your family. You can work hard. You can be fully present with them. You can lead spiritually. You can be a mentor to them. You can extend love and grace. You've already got all that you need. Also, all you need to rescue your people. You say, I don't have the position at work. I'm not the boss. What can I do? I don't have the level of education or I haven't achieved anything. What can I do? You can live with integrity. You can pray for them. You can be enthusiastic. You can be an encourager to those people. And then you can also recognize you've got all that you need to fight for the honor of your God. You realize nobody ever arrives? Some of you look at me this morning and say, well, you know, obviously you're so much more spiritual than we are. I mean, you stand up and preach God's Word every Sunday. You went to seminary. You realize that none of us, I don't care how many seminary degrees you get, I don't care how many sermons you preach, I don't care how many Sunday school lessons you teach, how many gold stars you get for perfect attendance every week at church, none of us ever arrives. Paul said he looked at all the stuff that he had accumulated and he said, I consider it all garbage compared to what? To knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I have not yet arrived, he said in Philippians 3, but I press on. I keep going to, com- to, to continue to mature in Christ toward the goal, that goal of maturity that God has called me heavenward. None of us ever arrive. You have all you need right now to begin serving the Lord because if you have Jesus Christ living inside of you, you've got all you need. Maybe He'll throw some extra tools in the bag as you move forward as He sees some things that you need to be improved at. But right now, you've got all you need. Don't wait until you feel adequate because you'll wait until you die. You'll never serve the Lord if you wait until you feel like I've got it together and now I can serve. The question I hear, and I'll be honest with you, that drives me absolutely crazy from church people, I'm going to be gut level honest with you for just a second, is who am I to do that? Well, I, I, you know, I don't know anything. Come on. None of us know anything. Who are any of us to serve the Lord? Let's be honest. None of us. All of us are sinners. Every single one of us is a hypocrite. We all do things that aren't right. But it's time for some of us to say, you know what, I still, because of the grace of God, i got all I need. I don't, I'm not going to worry about that. And today, I'm going to make a commitment to step up and serve the Lord. Number three, you can't do it alone. You're the best man for the job. You've got all you need, but you can't do it alone. Look what David does. Goliath taunts him, verses 41 to 44. The Philistine came closer to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And he cursed David by his gods. Come here. The Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the bird of the sky and the wild beast. Now at that, I would turn around and say, Saul, I, um, I was wrong. This guy, I thought, you know, I just... I didn't really hear what he said at first, and now I get it, and I'm, you know, I'm good. I'll just hide back here in the tent. You can have your, you know, I'll throw the stones back there in the river, and you know, I'll turn in my slingshot, and I'll go home and tend the sheep. I mean, at that point, 
David said to the Philistine, You come at me with a dagger, spear, and sword, but I come against you in what? In the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel's army. You have defied him. How does David come at his enemy? Not with greater strength, because he doesn't have it. Not with better armor, because he can't get it. Not with better weapons, because he can't even carry those things. He comes at him, not on his own, but in the strength and in the name of his God. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down. Cut off your head and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord. He will hand you over to us. It's a little guy saying all that. This is David against I mean, the real David against Goliath. This isn't just the fairy tale David Goliath story. This is David saying to Goliath himself, "You may be big and you may be strong, and in your strength against my strength, I have no chance. But with God on my side, you will lose your head. You will go down today." And it will prove that there is a God because it's not by my strength that I will encounter and win this battle. But it is by God because the battle belongs to Him. Fellas, you may say, I like those first two points. I'm the best man for the job. I'm ready. I have all I need. God has already given it all to me. But you've got to hear this one. You can't do it alone. You can't do it on your own. This incredible man of courage, David... We look at him and we say, I don't run away. And he just says, I'm going to cut your head off. And then the birds are going to eat your body. I mean, that just sounds gross. That's what he's taunting him with. This incredible man of courage was unashamed of his absolute dependence on God. How many guys here today are going through life on your own? Showed up at church. That's cool, but tomorrow you're on your own. You figure work is my deal, and God's there on Sunday, and I, whatever. How many are standing against the battles and enemies you face, and you've got nothing but your own strength, and there stands a nine feet, nine inch giant ready to kill you? How many are standing there on your own? You're going to die on your own. You may not physically die, but the battles in life will absolutely kill you on your own. Unless you go in the name and with the power of God, it will kill you. You know that. Some of you right now are so defeated in life. Why? Because you're on your own. You say, I've got to be tough enough. I've got to be strong enough. God says, that's garbage. Look at David. I don't come at you with a sword and a spear. I just come at you with the name of God. And that's going to be enough. You can't do it alone. You can't fight for the reward of the king on your own. Hebrews tells us, you realize this, that God rewards those who seek him. God doesn't reward those who stand out on their own, look at me, independent man, hear me roar kind of stuff. That's not who God honors and who God blesses. He blesses and rewards those who the Bible says earnestly seek him in faith. Fighting your battles alone, guys, is foolish at best. It's unbiblical also, and it's not God's idea of manhood. David is unashamed of his absolute dependence on God. Not only that, but you can't win the heart and the hand of your princess alone. You, you ever tried to do marriage, just kind of, I'm going to figure it out each day at a time. We're just living on love. You know, the, the honeymoon's over and you come back from that exotic place where you were, you know, wherever it was. And I can't do that. I don't even have a clue what I'm doing. 
Guys, you ever felt that way? Somebody's been married a long time, and you, if you're honest, you'd say, I have no idea what I'm doing in marriage. I just make it up every day. Just do the best I can. I just try to keep her happy. Clean the dishes every once in a while. You know. Some of us are doing that. Some of our young men here today, you have no idea what it means to truly respect and to love a woman and to honor her. You have no idea. And you can't do it alone. You can't save your marriage alone. It's going to take God's help and God's intervention. You can't build a strong biblical marriage on your own. It's going to take God's help and His intervention. You can't be ready for marriage on your own. You've got to have God's direction. You also, for the benefit of your family, you've got to depend upon the Lord. All of us, guys, if you're a dad, I don't know about you, but just since I'm being honest today, I don't have any clue what I'm doing as a dad. I, I, look, I got four kids, and they eat my lunch all the time. I mean, it's just, I have no idea. I look at them, and I look at my wife, and I just think, um, I've got I have a 10-year-old. Lucy's a 10-year-old. She's going to be a teenager in three years. I'm scared to death. I have no idea. I like Duke. You know, he's two, and he's just happy, and he runs around. <laughs> I can handle that. I don't have any clue what I'm doing as a dad. You know, if we try to do this stuff alone, apart from God's direction and God's strength, you know what you're going to raise? In your home, if you're doing parenting on your own, apart from God's strength, apart from His guidance, you're either going to raise really messed up kids, because your human nature is going to do that, or you're going to raise really nice kids. And neither one of those, let me be honest with you, is God's plan for your kids. To be messed up, obviously, and to, 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 not, you know, to not do what's right. And so that's not God's plan for your kids. And then just to be really nice and just get along with everybody, that's not God's plan. God wants godly warriors and godly princesses to be raised in your home. That's it. You can't do that on your own. You've got to get God involved. Maybe one last thing. This is really the marching orders. You're the best man for the job. You really are. You have all you need. You can't do it alone. And also, you must move forward. Look at what David does. Verse 48. I mean, he's gotten himself fired up. The whole army is somewhere peeking through their tents at him, hoping he. it's just quick, you know. When the Philistines started toward forward to attack him, I love this, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet him. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on the forehead. It's awesome. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. David defe- defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Isn't it great? Even though David had no sword... He struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed, this is awesome. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. He killed the guy with his own sword. That's just, that's, it's like Braveheart stuff, right? That's just awesome. The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouted, they come out of their tents. Hey, David won. They, shouting their battle cry and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley of the gates of Ekron. Philistine bodies were strewn everywhere. Isn't that great? You know, you know why that was possible? Because when the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line. It's time to move forward. Guys, it's time for you to live out what God has called you to be and to do. And you know exactly what it is.
There's a role right now in your mind that says, you know, it says, I'm just not doing, I'm not being what God wants me to be. In this role, as a man of God, this role as a husband, this role as a father, this role as a worker, this role as a leader, I'm just, I'm not. Maybe it's time for you to play the hero. Because nobody else can in those roles. And today it's time for you to be who your king has called you to be. And it's time for you to be the man your wife or your future wife needs you to be. It's time for you to be the man that your family needs you to be. It's time for you to be the man that the people around you need you to be. And it's time for you to be the man who goes after the things of God, even if everybody else hides in their tents. It's time. Let me give you one last challenge. I took this from a book called Wild at Heart. Quoted by the author's son, actually. Drew a picture of a man and defining it. So I give them credit. Here's what it is. The challenge for all of us today. Inside every man is a warrior. This isn't just a pep talk. This is reality. Inside every man is a warrior. But the choice to fight is his own. The choice to fight today, guys, the choice to engage is up to you. I wonder this week, will you engage in the battles and in the roles that God has given you? Will you daily align your heart with God's? Will you daily talk to your wife, pray for her? Will you daily hang out with your kids and tell them something great about God? Will you daily encourage and love someone who needs to be rescued from their enemies? Will you daily ask God to do whatever He wants to do in and through you? You're the best man for the job. You have all you need. You can't do it alone. But today, you must move forward. It's time. Let's pray together. I'd like to ask if it's physically something you can do. Fellas, I I want you, if you're a man in this room, a young man, I want you to stand, if you would. Ladies, you can remain seated for just a second. Guys, you can stand. Remain with your head bowed and your eyes closed if you'd like. I'm not going to ask you to do anything or to say anything. I simply want us to stand before the Lord today in a position of accountability. I want to pray for us. Being a man's not easy. Satan is out to get you. The world hates you. Everything conspires to defeat you, and yet you have a battle to face and a role to play. The challenge has been issued, but not to beat you down, but to encourage and equip you. So let me pray for us. And then everybody, our ladies, will join to to stand with us, and we'll sing a closing hymn. Heavenly Father, thank you for the men in this room. Whether they're physically able to stand or not, Lord, thank you for their position of accountability before you this morning. Lord, for some, this is the first time they have stood to acknowledge your presence in maybe a long time. So today, Lord, I pray that today for them may be the day of salvation. As they recognize the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of their own sin and their neediness for you. Lord, for those who whose hearts have been stirred this morning, I pray, Lord, for repentance. I pray, Lord, for commitment and for surrender to Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, in the battles that we face and the roles that we play. 
Help us, Lord, not to shy away from those, but as David did, to run quickly toward the battle line and to engage. God, we ask for your enabling power. We ask, Lord, for more knowledge and wisdom than we have. We ask for courage that we can't muster on our own. God, I pray for the men that are in this room that are struggling and hurting. And they don't, they don't even know what it means to be a man. And they're, they're really, Lord, in a bad way. Holy Spirit, would you minister to them this morning? Lift them up. And God, may we open our hearts to be loved by you and to be totally changed and transformed. Thank you, Lord, that you teach us what it means to be a man. And it's not based upon the world's scoreboard, but it's based on things like faithfulness and courage. So make us those kinds of great men, great men for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.